This is Pulse 95. You're listening to the Future Talk podcast. Future Talk. Future Talk. With Omyal Saleh and Hany Balkis on Pulse 95. Welcome back to Future Talk right here on Pulse 95. It is me, Anibal Qais with Omnia Saleh, bringing you Future Talk Home Edition, where we bring you all the latest in tech, gadgets, and AI from the comfort of our own home to combat the spread of the coronavirus COVID-19. And today we're going to be talking about how half a million Zoom accounts were for sale on the dark web. And we're going to be talking about how the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Station has shortlisted 10 candidates for the UAE analog mission. Now that is very interesting, ladies and gentlemen, and I'm excited to talk about that. But also we do have an interview with Ali Draycott, who is a member of the Future Agenda team, which is an open source think tank and advisory firm that runs the world's leading open foresight program and does help organizations to identify emerging opportunities and make more informed decisions. Many exciting things to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very excited to kind of inform you guys on how to keep yourselves safe if your Zoom account did get compromised. So stay tuned right here only on Pulse 95. You're listening to Pulse 95. Daily digital news. Bits and bytes connect our world. I have some very interesting yet unpleasant news, especially if you're a Zoom user just like myself. Now, a lot of us are using Zoom to connect with one another uh, during the coronavirus COVID-19 pandemic, but half a million Zoom accounts went for sale on the dark web. Now, this is very interesting yet unpleasant because me, myself, I do use Zoom. And when I got the news, I'll I'll be honest with you guys, I did get pretty scared. But for those who don't know what the dark web is, it is basically an underground marketplace where people can buy and sell illegal things. Now, more than 500,000 stolen passwords and account details for Zoom, which is the video conferencing app, have been discovered on the dark web. Now, cyber criminals are selling these credentials for a fraction of a penny each. Now, researchers at an online security firm did discover around 530,000 Zoom accounts with their email addresses and passwords associated with those accounts. Now, this came out around, I believe, Tuesday or Wednesday night. And when I heard the news, I immediately jumped on my laptop and I changed the password, not for my Zoom account, but for the email that was associated to my Zoom account. Because a lot of people, they use uh, uh, the same password for multiple platforms, just like myself. Now, it is believed that the account details were gathered from a third-party data breach rather than a hack on Zoom directly, which does use a technique known as credential stuffing, where hackers are able to link login details that are used uh, that are used for more than one online account in order to compromise another. Now, cybersecurity experts did respond to the dark web listing by reiterating the common sense security practice of not using the same password across multiple websites and apps. Now, a lot of people do say this. A lot of security experts say this that don't use the same password on multiple uh, p- on multiple platforms. So I did learn my mistake. Thankfully, I, nothing happened to my account or my email account. Uh, I automatically changed all the passwords, especially in my email, uh, as a lot of people do have their bank details on that email associated to that email. So do, uh, ladies and gentlemen, 
change that password and don't keep the same password for multiple accounts. But we're going to be talking about also how Sharjah police have implemented the thermal helmet or a smart helmet to battle against the coronavirus COVID-19. Now UAE actually is the first to use this technology in the region. Now the helmet does come fitted with an infrared camera and other AI or artificial intelligence technologies just like face recognition technology and a car number reading technology. Now this is a great initiative by the government of the UAE and Sharjah police. Now with this initiative which is being implemented by the Sharjah police it does reduce um, the, the, the encounter with people and the police officers assuring the safety for the police officers where they can um, check on your temperature they can get their job done by the safety of their car and they don't have to go down and kind of uh, encounter people because you don't know who has the virus or not and we do need to keep our police safe as they do keep us safe so hats off to the Sharjah police great initiative that is being implemented not only by the Sharjah police but the UAE police in general but speaking about the UAE we're going to be talking about how the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center has shortlisted 10 people for an analog mission now the Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center has shortlisted 10 Emiratis out of 100 applicants for the UAE analog mission, which is part of the scientific international research and unique terrestrial station on an eight month uh, mission conducted at the NEK ground based analog facility, which is in which is located in Russia. Now, the shortlist does follow the call for applications, which was announced in February this year. I mean, I did talk about that. Now, two finalists, which is one primary and one backup, just like uh, Hazal Mansouri and Sultan Nayad, Hazal was the primary and Sultan was the backup, will be selected from the shortlist to become part of Crew 1. Now, this mission will actually focus on studying the effects of isolation and confinement on human psychology, physiology, and team dynamics to help prepare for a long duration of space exploration. Now, this is a first of its kind opportunity actually for the Emiratis in a various scientific fields to be part of such a crucial mission that lays the foundation for future space endeavors. Now, the UAE Analog Mission Number 1 will play a key role in developing Emirati capabilities and does contribute to the development of the Mars 2117 program, which does aim to establish human colonies in Mars by the year 2117. Now, that's a good 70, 80 years from now, or even 90. Uh, but I do hope I'm alive to witness that now. Uh, the candidates were uh, to be aged from 25 and 55 and they had to be passionate about space and communicate in English. Now, uh, the Space Center did relieve that the shortlisted candidates did include five women with the youngest candidate being a 25 year old woman and the oldest shortlisted applicant was a 40 year old man now that's a great uh, that i see all ages and all all genders uh, kind of pitching in and, and and contributing and wanting to go to space and ever since uh, they started uh, becoming the first uae astronauts i could see and we could see a lot of interest in space exploration from this from the uae youth and the uae community in general and i'm very excited for that as we are the first arab country to go to space now we're going to be taking a short break but when we come back we're going to interview ali draycott who is a member of the future agenda team so stay tuned right here only on pulse 95 pulse 95 future talk 
Future Tour with Omni Al Saleh and Hany Balkas on Pulse 95. Welcome back to Future Talk right here on Pulse 95. This is the one and only place where we bring you the latest in robotics, artificial intelligence, gadgets, and applications. But in the tech world, e-learning or online learning is definitely one that is making a huge impact. Um, And with the COVID-19 pandemic taking place, it has definitely forced many school districts and universities to close and send students home. And this reality definitely forced all of us to kind of have or get a crash course for online learning um, and teaching students how to deal with technology while at the same time making sure that parents aren't becoming overwhelmed. To tell us more about the different challenges that online learning is facing, we have with us Ali Draycott, the associate of the Future Agenda team, which is an open source think tank and an advisory firm that is running the world's leading open foresight program. Welcome again to the show. Hi, great to chat to you. It's definitely, you're definitely a regular on Future Talk. (laughs) My pleasure, my pleasure. Great to be back. COVID-19 has definitely caught schools at a very interesting uh, time time and place because uh, we've definitely seen online learning take place. We've definitely envisioned it for the future, but uh, it's definitely been a very quick change and a growing number of schools and students are slowly adjusting to it. But what is the impact on the education sector in your opinion? Well, uh, yes, you're right. I mean, it has had a huge uh, impact. I think uh, UNESCO uh, estimates at the moment that 91% of people in education uh, are being impacted by COVID-19 and school closures. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in some markets, it's uh, felt like a rushed transition, uh, as you say. Um, schools are having to rapidly uh, change the way in which they uh, deliver their classrooms, they're mm-hmm. doing homeschooling. And I think what's interesting is that we're beginning to see not only a transition from what was previously happening in schools uh, going online, but actually schools are really having to think about digital first. Mm-hmm. Because the way in which people were teaching previously uh, in the classroom uh, is not necessarily possible or as impactful as it is online. So it's not just changing um, really the channel of how people learn, but also the way in which uh, people are learning. Definitely. And I mean, when we're looking at uh, the different platforms that students have been using, there has definitely been a struggle, at least at the beginning, with students securing, you know, whether it was laptops, iPad, or even learning how to use the different softwares that schools and universities started adopting. So how has the online learning market uh, evolved over time? So uh, the online learning market has has always been there. I think uh, depending on the level of education or the different age group or what you're trying to teach, um, different disciplines or different sort of institutions have been more developed. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you see greater um, success with online learning in higher education institutions or um, further learning. So we're all probably used to kind of the world of MOOCs, so the mass online mm. courses which have been going on for a while. Uh, you know, the likes of uh, Harvard offer many uh, free and open online courses. So those are fairly developed. Um, you'll also see in areas such as um, science and maths, online learning is again, more more developed. And obviously mm. in the area of technology and coding, it's, it's huge. But 
Where uh, we see, I think, a bit more of a challenge is uh, in maybe some of the softer subjects, so English literature, um, potentially some of these, where it's not just a challenge in terms of the technology for the students, mm. but also we've got to remember that this is a 360 for the teachers as well. And they're under a huge amount of pressure, um, really, to change the way in which their content's been delivered for years. Um, the tools, the tools are out there. I think it's a fantastic moment um, for uh, tools to accelerate. Uh, for example, um, Dubai Future Accelerator has got nine digital education innovators uh, sitting within its uh, accelerator at the moment, and I think that mm -hmm. each of those solutions is is really facing a new opportunity. But there are lots of solutions and they, they haven't been used as much before. So the online learning marketplace is becoming much more crowded, much more competitive. And it's also really having to um, be stress tested by millions of people globally. It's interesting that you mentioned how uh, there are many applications right now that, you know, for math and sciences that are being put into use, which is definitely forcing teachers to change their methods of assessment. You know, quizzes and exams are not going to be the best format to test students, especially because, you know, a teacher can't necessarily always monitor uh, the students while taking them. But at the same time, many universities right here in the UAE uh, have been still trying to enforce old assessment methods. So they're still planning to conduct exams. They're still planning to conduct quizzes, but basically asking all of the students to turn on their webcams. So I'm just interested to see what is your thought or take on that? Do you feel like it is still effective for us to conduct exams or should teachers try and think of different ways to assess their students, maybe through projects? Yeah, so I mean, I'm not um, I'm not a teacher myself, so I don't want to um, I don't want to say directly. But I think um, if we look at the foresight and we look at the trends, sort of at a bit at a sort of bigger scale, this question of how to assess uh, students has actually been um, kicking around for a long time pre-COVID-19, and. Mm. I think what we're seeing is COVID-19 is very much an accelerator of some existing trends within education that existed already. Mm. Um, we've The education uh, institution, parents, children alike have really asked whether um, exams, so sitting in a you know exam hall with hundreds of other people and completing a test is the best way to measure um, learning and understanding. Some argue that it's really just uh, asking children to repeat or, you know, adults to yeah. repeat what they've learned rather than necessarily understanding. So I think uh, there has been a uh, trend or a shift towards looking at the measurement of uh, softer skills, teamworking, critical thinking, which are all uh, sort of being earmarked as the big skills of the future. Um, and I think COVID-19 has really uh, accelerated what has been a question that's in place and exams are going to be questioned increasingly going forward and mm -hmm. I think you're right that new methods of assessment uh, are going to have to be considered um, and increasingly considered. That will take some time, that will take some time. You're absolutely right. I mean, we've seen it happen before and we're seeing it happen again. The education system has got to change and we're going to be coming back to discuss how students can also adjust to online learning when it comes to, to feeling more engaged with the class. So make sure you stay tuned right here on Future Talk, only on Pulse95. You're, You're listening, listening to, to Pulse95. 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 Future Talk. 
Future Tour with Omni Al Saleh and Hany Balkis on Pulse95. Online learning's big moment has arrived the minute COVID-19 set foot into our world. And education is definitely uh, becoming revamped by the day, just simply because many industries are forced to work remotely, to study remotely, and students and parents are also adjusting to that learning curve. To tell us more about all these changes, we have with us over a Zoom call, Ali Draycott, the associate of the Future Agenda team, which is an open source think tank and advisory firm that is running the world leading open foresight programs. Welcome again to the show. Hi. <laughs> and right before the break, uh, you and I were talking all about uh, the impact of online learning, uh, you know, how how schools have been adjusting and how the market has evolved. And we also touched upon how many schools and universities are slowly changing their methods of assessment. But another big thing that has changed is standardized testing. SAT tests around the world have been forced to become canceled just to, you know, cut down on big gatherings and make sure that students are also uh, safe and sound in their homes away from any uh, risk of contracting the virus. But that also means that, you know, the future of learning, the future of students becoming accepted into universities is also changing. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, the education system uh, around the world uh, has potentially taken a little longer to catch up with the real world uh, than a lot of other sectors. So uh, it's often taught in the world of foresight that we need an education revolution and we need an education system uh, fit for our times. Mm -hmm. I think we have to go back to the central question, which is say, well, why are we putting, uh, why do we send our children to school or why do we go through education? And people have different points of view on this. Is it about being a, you know, a better person, a more rounded person, a more creative person? But if we look at sort of one central piece, which is potentially saying poten uh, preparing children for the future of work. The future of work is is very different um, to uh, how it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And if we look at different studies, for example, out of the World Economic Forum, uh, we see that in the future, we're going to need uh, skills that are essentially a hybrid mix of uh, being able to have a partnership with technology, uh, with AI, with um, different multimodal interfaces, with different forms of reality, uh, such as, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, and we're going to mm. have to all understand blockchain a lot better. But on the other side, we're also going to need more skills in terms of critical thinking, creativity, into team react, uh, reactions. And, you know, my question is, do, do SATs help us achieve either of those things? Um, one could argue that potentially they don't because uh, learning about maths formula or uh, subconjunction clauses in English language mm. or some of the very basic things that we can now essentially ask Siri or Google for um, maybe isn't the best test or the best way of preparing um, you know, young learners today for the mm -hmm. workforce of the future. So it's a good challenge to the current system but I think we need to look at it not only just about whether it's SATs in a room uh, where they can be in a controlled environment or SATs in a controlled environment online with your webcam on, 
But I think we need to take this as an opportunity to look back and say, well, what do we want? What what should we be measuring in terms mm. of learning? And what is the most useful thing to, to measure? And then what is the best uh, coursework or what is the best learning experience for children? And then at, as a final step, how do you evaluate that? And through through what method? You're definitely right. I feel like if there was ever an industry waiting to be disrupted, education is definitely it. Um, as you mentioned, it has been the slowest. Um, but, you know, with online learning picking up now and becoming the new norm, uh, many parents are struggling with keeping their children engaged during class. And teachers are also trying to, you know, think outside the box. They're trying their best to help them become more engaged. In your opinion, how can we increase engagement through the use of technology? Yeah, it's interesting. It's really interesting that you raise engagement because engagement is one of the big, big elements that really impact learning outcomes. Uh, the, the jury is out in terms of the research as to whether learning outcomes are in fact any worse online, as long as the engagement levels are the same. I think this is where we have to say that the focus of learning has to be around engagement and understanding and actually what's being delivered therefore needs to be adapted to, to the channel. Mm -hmm. um, we therefore need to think very differently, I think, about how education is delivered. There's an idea uh, that's long been talked about in terms of foresight and trends in education, which is something called the inverted classroom, mm. where rather than um, Get, traditionally in a you know traditional classroom you sit with your teacher and they uh, share with you a bunch of information that you then go home to try and understand and repeat mm. back that you've learnt it. There's an argument to say well actually uh, children could be taking this information online, researching it themselves online, finding out this information online and then the teacher actually becomes the coach and coaches mm. them through what would traditionally be their homework. So the engagement and the support of the teacher comes around understanding, not necessarily just being the sort of conduit for information. So, you know, my, my, my big advice, and I think, um, again, uh, I do a lot of training at the, at the professional level, but mm. my uh, big advice is to think digital first. I think it's very difficult to think about a child sitting in front of, a, you know, a young child, say an eight-year-old, sitting in front of a laptop from eight o'clock in the morning till three o'clock in the afternoon and you know with a break for lunch and mm. um, i think we have to think about shorter bursts engaging content what activities can they do themselves mm. uh, and then reporting back and where can teachers coach them through their understanding rather than necessarily uh, being spending a lot of time just imparting information which can be found in lots of other places online it's very interesting that you mentioned that because, you know, I've seen students right here in the UAE, the, the different projects that they're doing is definitely a, a result of teachers acknowledging that they're getting increased screen time. So they've been asking them to, you know, do activities at home and then have their parents, let's say, film them or even also asking them to film themselves. So that's also helping them grow, I feel like, different skills that they might need in the future um, while still learning uh, what the curriculum or what the teacher is planning to uh, have them learn through the objectives of the class. Yes, I mean, I have no doubt. I have been uh, uh, supporting uh, with some home learning myself, and I have to say there's some good sort of five and six-year-olds who can definitely produce a better PowerPoint than me. <laughs> 
Uh, it's always a fun time talking to you, Ali. We're going to be taking a short break, but once we come back, we're going to be talking about how the quality of online learning nowadays is becoming very heavily dependent on the level and quality of digital access. If you have any questions, make sure you slide into our DMs at Pulse95 Radio, and we'll definitely have Ali get back to you with the answers. But make sure you stay tuned right here on Future Talk, only on Pulse95. You're listening to Pulse 95. Pulse 95. Future Talk. Future Talk. With Omni Al Saleh and Hany Balkas on Pulse 95. Online learning might have been a dream of many students who were always whining about having to get up in the morning, get dressed drive to school um, and now they get to have their classes from the comfort of their own bed if they wish or from a couch or definitely enjoying their parents home cooked food Um, but with online learning many challenges also arise since the COVID-19 pandemic has definitely forced all of the students and all of the schooling systems to adjust to it in a very short time period to tell us more about it we have with us over a zoom call Ali Draycott an associate the associate of the future agenda team which is an open source think tank. Uh, Ali, right before the break, you were telling us a lot about how, you know, we should uh, try and think into canceling SAT tests even after the COVID-19 pandemic is over and rethink the different forms of assessment. Um, We talked a lot about how engagement of students is becoming a lot more important, especially when teachers are basically relying on online schooling as the new norm rather than uh, as a supplement or as a complementary method of teaching. Um, But most schools are definitely becoming more and more affected by this gap in education equality. So the quality of learning is becoming very heavily dependent on the level and quality of digital access. So the less digitally savvy individuals families are the further their students are being left behind in your opinion how can we overcome this yeah it's an interesting um, point that you raise and I, I think the challenge of digital access kind of has to be broken down into into two areas um, really obviously one is internet connection I think it's absolutely huge um, for uh, people who don't have a reliable internet connection or don't physically have access to a, uh, you know, something that can access the internet, you're obviously Mm. incredibly limited. Now, we're very lucky in the UAE, we have, um, you know, reasonable access. And I, you know, I hope that, um, you know, most people here with relatively low levels of unemployment have access to, um, you know, a computer. But I think, you know, for the subcontinent um, and, you know, parts of Africa where, you know, they don't have such great access to the internet, it is a big problem. And, and that's huge in itself. But then the second part, I think, is about saying, okay, so we're assuming you have internet access and uh, you have a computer. Um, and and then I think parents and children themselves are worrying about whether they understand the level of technology. Again, I, I think it goes back to engagement. And actually, there's a fascinating study by someone called Sugatra Mitra, um, which uh, in which he actually left a uh, computer in a slum in uh, in India, and mm. uh, he left it just. Uh, banged into a wall and mm. amazingly he came back and three weeks later and small children had basically taught themselves how to use this computer. No way. And, yes, and they knew everything about it. They downloaded games. They were essentially doing some programs. They had no instructions. They had no, um, 
no direction. And I think that's the bit about self-organized learning. And again, that's around engagement and how engaged and how much do children want to learn and how much do they see the value in learning. Um, I think uh, it's, it's a really interesting area of education and children are now being asked to be more self-organized about their learning. And uh, that's, that's a big piece of pressure for kids, but the outcomes can be great, uh, even if uh, there are no teachers and no parents. Mm. Uh, I encourage everyone to look at the hole in the wall project if they're feeling worried. I definitely agree with you because I feel like this is the first time students are forced to learn how to self-discipline. I mean, they don't have a teacher, you know, getting mad at them if they, let's say, zone out during a classroom, but they're the ones who are going to be losing on all of this information. Um, but looking forward to the future of online learning after all of this is hopefully over, is it possible for online learning to replace in-person classes, in your opinion? I think we always have to look um, at uh, what we're trying to replace. Uh, we know as, as human beings um, that, you know, connections and human connections uh, make us happier, make us remember more. Uh, so it's about looking at how those connections come about. Um, I think, you know, human connections as primates, it needs to be more than a WhatsApp and it needs mm. to be more than an email. But, Online can still deliver that level of engagement if, if we get it right. I don't think we would, given the choice, no one would want it to replace it 100% because mm. we, are, we are social animals um, and we want uh, guidance and support and we want uh, to see that what we're, being, what we're doing is, is both recognized and valued. And that can be difficult online. Um, I think it's about look at, looking at the balance between the two. But in terms of educational outcomes, you know, uh, COVID-19 is putting the world through a, a massive experiment and hmm. um, we, will, we, will see, we will see what happens. Um, but, uh, I, I, you know, I, I think ultimately we can do more online and children can do more to be um, self-directed online and teachers can do more to create engaging content online. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, it, they will have even greater skills for the future because we're going to have to be more online savvy. But face-to-face -face is always going to be valuable wherever we can get it. It's in our DNA. Absolutely. I mean, online learning can definitely make education a lot more accessible and convenient for both teachers and students. It comes with its challenges, but I mean, what new change doesn't come with challenges? And as you mentioned, this is the time where online learning is being put on the test to see what works and what doesn't. Thank you so much, Ali, for joining us today. It's been such an honor to get to speak to you once again. You're always a joy to have on Future Talk. Thank you so much for having me. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Future Talk will be returning on Sunday from 2 to 3 p.m. But until then, have a great weekend. Stay safe, take care, and stay home. And I'm going to be leaving you in the safe hands of the Dream Team. Aisha Mazmi and Mikhail Atiyah will be joining you to give you the latest update on what is happening in the entertainment industry. So you can spend your quarantine period staying safe, but also keeping entertained. Keep Pulse95 locked, and we'll see you next time. This is Pulse 95. Tune in live every weekday from 2 p.m.